to mind when you hear the word masterpiece? What do you picture? What do you visualize? Um, maybe you're into painting and you visualize some of the works of uh, the world's greatest painters. Obviously, when you're identifying masterpieces, there's some debate as to which makes the list and what, which ranking they get. Uh, but when you look at people who have talked about the world's greatest masterpieces when it comes to painting or music and other things, the list get long enough, 10 to 15, you, you have some familiarity or some consistency among those that are featured as the best masterpieces. When it comes to painting, if you look at lists, you'll find that these uh, five or six paintings make nearly every list. Da Vinci's Mona Lisa and The Last Supper are considered two incredible masterpieces. Uh, one that you might not be as familiar with is Pablo Picasso's uh, Guernica, and that's in the top right corner. Beneath it is Van Gogh's famous Starry Nights. On the far left in the lower corner is a painting I wasn't familiar with, but it showed up in all the lists that I saw this week, and that's Klimt's painting called The Kiss. Uh, the one in the middle of that young woman staring is called The Girl with the Black Pearl Earring, is what it's uh, it's, sorry, the girl with the pearl earring is what it's called. Um, and it makes the list of all these masterpieces in painting. Uh, maybe painting's not your thing. Maybe music is more of your thing. Well, there are lists of masterpieces when it comes to music. Uh, musical compositions like uh, Mozart's Requiem or Handel's Messiah, which many are familiar with. Vivaldi's Four Seasons are ranked among the top classical music masterpieces. Maybe you're not in classical music. Maybe you want to go to more modern music um, the last 50 or 60 years. Uh, in those lists are Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions album, uh, Led Zeppelin's album number four, uh, Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, those are all considered musical masterpieces, and I would guess that at some point in time we'll look back, probably 50, 60 years from now, and Taylor Swift's 1989 might be on that list. Um, when you rank Taylor Swift albums for Big Era's tour and all that stuff, 1989 rises to the top as being her top album, and I'm guessing uh, because of the work she's done, that will show up there as well. But maybe you're not into paintings, maybe you're not into music, um, maybe you're into something more abstract. Uh, there's this beautiful art form called mosaics. Um, a form of it takes place sometimes in high-end homes and there's showers or kitchens, but a mosaic is when fragments, irregular pieces of glass, tile, stone, uh, other substances are combined to reflect a much greater picture. There's a church in Tobola, uh, Serbia, called St. George's Church. And at St. George's Church, there is a place called the Mausoleum. And in the mausoleum, uh, it holds what many consider the world's greatest mosaic masterpiece. You can see on the slide up in the far, I guess it would be my right, your left-hand corner is a picture of the mausoleum aerial view, but the other pictures are what it looks like inside. There are more than 3,500 square meters of continuous mosaic art in the mausoleum. Uh, we don't count in meters, so I'll give it to you in feet. That's 38,000 square feet of mosaic, continuous mosaic, ceilings, archways, hallways. To give you some perspective, if you were to take a football field and you were to draw a line, the 10-yard line on one end, the 10-yard line on the other end, and you went 10-yard line to 10-yard line, sideline to sideline, fully covered in mosaic, 
that's what 3,500 meters of mosaic looks like. Some 40 million different fragments of glass and 15,000 different shades of color make up the mosaic at St. George's Church. Uh, it's considered a masterpiece. But maybe mosaics, paintings, music aren't your thing. Maybe you're into more stitching and weaving. Uh, we have found some beautiful tapestries in the world. Uh, the one considered probably the most pristine and beautiful tapestry is called the Apocalypse Tapestry. It's found in a city in France called Angers. If you looked it up online, you'd look for Angers. Uh, that's how the Americans would say it, but it's Angers, France. Uh, it was commissioned by Duke Louis the, the First in 1375. It's called the Apocalypse Tapestry because it conveys over 90 panels in its original form, scenes from the book of Revelation. These panels span 500 feet long total, the 90 panels. Some of them 10 to 15 feet high, woven by 35 master weavers over the course of seven plus years. They said that some of the panels, it took a month just to make one square meter of the panel by one artisan. Beautiful, ornate masterpiece. If you look to see what the criteria for a masterpiece is online, you'll come up with a number of articles, lecture notes from people that are way smarter than me. And they'll list anywhere from three criteria to five to ten. But there's some consistency among what they mention. And here are the three that I found most consistent. To become a masterpiece, the original artwork um, has to be so unique, so original, that it overwhelms people with its power. Uh, when Van Gogh came on the scene, that story in that picture, people had not painted colors like Van Gogh was painting colors. And so it was so original that it overwhelmed with its power. And, uh, to be a masterwork, not only you have to overwhelm with its power because it's so original, but it has to stand the test of time. People have to be talking about it years later, generations later, like we do with the Mona Lisa or Mozart's work or Beethoven's work. The final criteria it has to meet is that it has to change the way artists in that field look at their work and look at their field. And the same is, and that is true of all the, the masterpieces that we mentioned. Now you might be wondering, hey Craig, I came to church today, why are we talking about masterpieces in art? We've been studying what we call Missio Dei, the mission of God. And today we're turning our attention to what I call the masterpiece of the mission of God. The masterpiece of God's mission. And here's the journey we've been on. The mission of God is a phrase that's been used throughout church history, Missio Dei, uh, in the Latin. We began with a message from Luke called Prelude to the Mission just uh, four weeks ago. Trying to lay the ground that we're going to appreciate the mission that God is at in this world and been up to in this world that he invites us into. That we have to see beyond ourselves. We've got to get outside of our own world to see that God's mission is so much bigger than us. We're a part of it, but it's so much bigger. I have to see beyond me is what we said in week one. Week two then, we took a journey through scripture. We took a journey through the pages of Genesis all the way to Revelation and saw how God's mission is consistent from the beginning of time until now. His story, all of history, is consistent, and you and I are part of that story. And what's God's mission is that he wants to bring his blessing to every person, in every nation, every place, every age, um, until he returns. And that word blessing is such a big word, a term that I heard in English class growing up is that they would talk about a term being a pregnant term. That means that there was 
so much life living inside of it. And that's how the word blessing is in Scripture. And the, the shortest way I know how to describe it is that it's, it's the experience of the goodness and the greatness, the character of God in all of its fullness. That's where God's blessing is. And we experience that as we submit to Him and surrender Him, as we trust and follow Him. We experience His blessing. It's God's desire that His blessing extends to every person, in every place, in every age. And we saw that's consistent from beginning to end. Then lastly, we saw that His primary method of helping people experience His mission and be a part of His mission is you and me. We're His conduit. We carry that blessing through us as we trust and follow Him. We help other people trust and follow Him. And when all this is said and done, when we join God in His mission, and His mission is accomplished when He returns, when Jesus returns, we will see the beautiful masterpiece of that mission. And I want to explore what that masterpiece looks like with you over the next 20 or so minutes. If you have your Bibles, find Revelation. We're going to be in the very last book of the New Testament, letter of the New Testament. John's apocalyptic letter called Revelation. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 1. Uh, I'll tell you why in just a moment. I'm going to look at three other passages in Revelation. There's probably no book of the Bible, letter of the Bible, that's created more controversy, stirred more controversy, confusion, debate, uh, than the book of Revelation. And often that's because we try to make it say things it doesn't say. But if you and I can remain anchored as we journey through Revelation, um, you can see and hold on to an incredible hope and an incredible message. And one of the keys as you study Revelation, by the way, is to always keep a finger in Revelation chapter 1. Because it, it shows us, it gives us the anchor that holds us fast in the host of different images and descriptions that come. And we don't have time to read all of Revelation 1, but verses 1 through 3 I think are enough to set the context for us. This is how it begins. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. The first observation I want to make before we get to these other passages is this, is that revelation comes from Jesus. John mentions that a couple of times here in these introductory verses. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ. It was entrusted to an angelic messenger, given to John. John tells us everything that he saw. It is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Like, I don't know how many times you have to hear that in this prologue to see that these are God's words. And so we should take them Seriously, they matter. They're straight from Jesus. They were intended to be heard and obeyed. Uh, you see the phrase there, take to heart. And so what we're going to discover in three other passages in Revelation should matter to us. We should take them to heart. And you're going to see that they fulfill what we've been talking about in this whole series. God's desire that his blessing come to every nation, every people group, in every age. And the beautiful picture of what that looks like when that comes to fruition. So in your Bibles, find Revelation 5 first. We'll be looking at verses 9 and 10. This comes in dramatic scene when there's only one who is worthy to open the scrolls, and that's the Lamb of God. That's Jesus, who died and gave himself for us. 
And as Jesus does this, there is this beautiful song that's sung. And listen to who sings it. Verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you are slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So it's a description of those who sing God's praise. It says they're a kingdom. Uh, they're priests to serve God. They proclaim his name. But who is doing the proclaiming? Who is praising? Look at the scripture at the end of verse 9. Pe- people or persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. So even as we've anticipated in previous weeks that the mission of God is for all people, we see this beautiful celebration at the end of time. And, and who's there? People from every tribe and every nation and every people and every language. And this is a consistent message throughout Revelation. You can go to chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 and see something very similar. Another scene. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. The order is a little different here, but it says from every nation, tribe, people, and language. The same description we saw in Revelation chapter 5. Every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So who's crying out in a loud voice? Salvation belongs to our God. Who's calling God their God? The people from every nation and people, and tribe, and language. If we fast forward to the very last chapter of Revelation, Revelation 22, the very last kind of scene that John describes for us from Jesus. Verses 1 and 2 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of what? The nations. Do you see the consistency in Revelation? As, as, as John sees the scene of when God's mission is accomplished, when all things are fulfilled, when Jesus returns, there's this consistent message that those who are present are people from every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language. I love the language of chapter 22. It says that the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Imagine a world where divisions among people, where racism, where prejudice, where disagreements among people groups and disputes across borders are no more. When all of the fractures that have taken place since Babel in Genesis 11 are healed, and people who look different and talk different and live differently are living in incredible unity 
with one another. Just the picture that he paints for us, and it is a beautiful masterpiece. A world, a, a place that's full of ethnic diversity as people live in unity with each other. A world and a place without rumors of war and disputes and quarrels and heartbreak that comes from rivalries. That's the masterpiece that he paints for us when, when God's blessing reaches people and they submit and surrender and trust and follow and they as his disciples carry that to others. People after people, nation after nation, group after group, language after language gets to hear about the incredible God. And as they trust and follow him, we end up with a world that's so beautiful, that, that reflects this beautiful kaleidoscope of color. I don't know you, but I long for that. Because the world that we live in is so different from that. It's full of division. I mean, just think about the stories that led the news this week. Uh, more drones and missiles and gunfire exchanges between Russia and Ukraine. Like 500 and some days we've been hearing about that. Think of what happened last Sunday as Azerbaijan brings forces into a contested area where there are a bunch of Armenians living. Uh, think, think about North Korea's rhetoric this week. Once again, they promise they're going to have a fringe of nuclear strike that causes massive destruction. Like we've heard that for the last, what, 40 years. There were meetings with the United Nations, and person after person who took the podium chose to speak despairingly, despairingly over other countries and leaders instead of working together in unity. That's the world that we know. We, we, we know news feeds and, and social media feeds full of rhetoric that treats people differently because of the color of their skin and their ethnicity and where they come from and their social class. And the beautiful picture we see in Revelation is this masterpiece where all the nations and all the people and all the tribes and all the languages come together and dwell in unity. That's the masterpiece of God's mission. We, we talked earlier about the criteria for a masterpiece. Three of the things that people agree upon is that the has to be so original that it overwhelms with its power. It has to stand the test of time, and it has to change the way artists view their work. These aren't criteria that God gives us in his word, by the way. Um, but I want you to see how God's masterpiece more than fulfills what we have set our criteria for a masterpiece. It has to be so original that it overwhelms with its A world and a diverse people living in unity is original and it overwhelms with its power. Just imagine with me. Maybe it helps to close your eyes. It helps me to close my eyes and visualize it. But all the unique and diverse people of the world stitched together in a beautiful tapestry. All the different colors. All the different people placed in just the right place in a beautiful mosaic. You have men and women from South America, Central America, North America, all of our dialects and twangs and accents. You take a boat or plane across the ocean and see the diversity in Europe from 
far north, Norway and Sweden on down. Track into Spain and Italy and jump over the Mediterranean, see the diversity of Africa from Morocco to Egypt and south through Kenya and the Dominican, not the Dominican, the, the Democratic Republic of Congo down to South Africa. We move east into Turkey and India and up into Russia and Central Asia and out to Japan and China and North and South Korea, Thailand, Vietnam, go to Indonesia, go to Australia, go to the South Pacific and just see all the different faces, all the different colors of skin, white and olive and tan and brown and black and everything in between. Not about you, but that overwhelms me. The beautiful, original artwork of our incredible creator. And that's what the rest of eternity will look like for those who trust in Jesus. That's the masterpiece of his mission. That's our aim. Standing the test of time, it's an eternal kingdom. Forever they will sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, is a repeated refrain and anthem in the new creation. Changes the way artists perceive their work, it should change us. It should change the way we see people that look differently than us and talk differently than us and live in different places than us. The beautiful masterpiece of God's mission. And you and I can taste that mission even today. Some of the ways that I would suggest you can taste that mission is to engage in short-term kingdom work. Intentionally Find ways to serve people that are different than you. Go to places in Indianapolis where people look differently than you, maybe talk differently than you, and serve them. Look for organizations that are serving those in parts of our city that are different than us. Even in Lebanon, go to places in our city where people are from a different socioeconomic class than you and, and serve them. Serve organizations that serve them. Engage in a short-term you know, mission trip of some sort. Every year we have a group of teenagers and adults that go and serve with Habitat for Humanity and they go to different places uh, in our country and they serve people that are different. And it helps them see this beautiful masterpiece of God's people with all of its diversity, all the colors, all the languages. And go on a short-term trip with one of our global impact partners. Travel to different places in our world. Up until Haiti kind of devolved into the heartbreak and chaos that's happening there right now, we have had teams that have gone to Haiti, and we hope to have teams that one day go again. And it grows your heart for the breadth of God's mission and the people that are worshiping Jesus alongside of us and will one day be worshiping Him alongside of us. I think about our global impact partner, Fame, who does medical evangelism. You can go to Fame's website. We can help you find that if you don't know how to get there yourself. Is it fame.org, by the way? Fame World. Fameworld. Fameworld.org. Uh, one of our people works for fame. You, you have uh, trips that you can find on their website. And you can go as a medical evangelist. You can go and through medicine, build bridges to help people come to know him. And, and they have trips all throughout the year to all different parts of our world. And you can see the beautiful diversity uh, that God has woven into his creation that reflects the masterpiece of the mission. One of the missions that I've taken trips with since I've been here, and even before that, is our global partner, TCM. And I made a list of the people that I've encountered, not their names, but from the countries they're from, uh, in my time leading 
short-term trips uh, to, with TCM to help Edelweiss. I've served with or served men and women from Albania, Armenia, Australia, Austria, Belarus, Bulgaria, the Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, Germany, Georgia, not the state, the country. I've served with people from Georgia, serving people from the country of Georgia. That's a pretty cool thing. Um, Hungary, Kenya, Kosovo, Lithuania, Moldova, Poland, Romania, Russia, Tajikistan, Turkey, Ukraine, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and probably places that I have forgotten. But those are the ones I know I've served people there and served alongside people from there. It's the beautiful masterpiece of God's mission. And if you move beyond what you're familiar with, you will see how God wants us to pursue unity among the people of the world. Maybe a short-term kingdom thing doesn't interest you. Could you organize a way to engage with a different faith community uh, in, in our own city, in our own region? Go worship with believers at a church that has people who don't look like you and don't talk like you. I remember uh, probably a handful of years ago, Audrey and I, on one of our vacation Sundays, had heard about this church, New Era Baptist Church, on the north side of downtown Indy. Um, another minister I was familiar with kind of had a partnership with this church. I was curious about it for myself, and so Audrey and I went there to worship one Sunday, and we come in, there's probably a gathering of 150, 200 people, and we are the only uh, lightly complected people, white people, in the whole place. And we still talk about how that was such a rich experience of worshiping with people. The preacher preached way differently than I preached. The people were way more vocal, way more expressive than you guys are every Sunday. And the music was completely different, and it was absolutely beautiful. What, what if you, uh, if you have a family, what if your family took a Sunday from time to time and went and found a community of followers of Jesus in a different part of our area that are different from you? What if you went and looked up a Hispanic church, a Spanish-speaking church? What if you found one of our Chinese-speaking churches and you just went and worshipped with them? It will help you see the beautiful masterpiece of God's mission. Another challenge I would give to you is this. Um, resolve to treat people like Jesus would, even when they're different from you. What's your reaction when you place a phone call uh, to customer service uh, in an organization or business you're trying to get a hold of and Someone on the other end answers the phone, and maybe they're at a call center in India or Pakistan. How do you treat them? How do you respond to them? How do you talk about them with other people? When you encounter people in a supermarket or a store that are different from you or speak a different language from you, how do you treat them? How do you talk about them? What's the tenor of your tone when, when, when you're in a restaurant and the, and the person who's taking your order maybe has an accent that's difficult to understand? Are you, are you patient? Do you appreciate the beautiful diversity in our world and the beautiful masterpiece of what God is fashioning? Those are all ways that we can begin to experience the masterpiece of the mission now. Because listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you weren't saved, and then you're now awaiting eternity to begin something. When you come to follow Jesus, your eternity, living the life of Jesus and experiencing his fullness, begins in that moment. And so we have the opportunity to bring the kingdom even now. And so we should be shaping our lives around the same masterpiece even now. That should be reflected in our relationships even now. 
So would we be people who pursue and reflect and celebrate the masterpiece of his mission? Every tribe, every nation, every language, every people will rejoice in the Lamb, those who've chosen to follow him. Let's live for that today. God, I thank you for the beautiful masterpiece of your mission. I thank you for, God, the exposure that I've had to people from all over the world who love you, who follow you. And God, I pray that not only for myself, but for everyone in this room, that you would expand our eyes to see Worship you together. Lead us and guide us, Father. In your name.